0: Week uh, I kind of introduced what we're going to be talking about uh, last week and, and this week and, and then in a couple weeks is, is this question of how are Christians supposed to live in the world? And it's, it's a huge question. It's a question that in some ways we answer every day just in the, in the choices that we make and the things that we choose to do. But we've been looking to God's Word and say, how does God's Word answer that question? And we've been looking specifically at First Peter. And 1 Peter writes this letter, Peter writes this letter to this group that he calls elect exiles, that they're people who are part of God's family, that they've been brought from the outside to the inside, that they have been uh, forgiven and redeemed, and there's no condemnation for them, that they're part of the family of God, and yet they continue to live in a world that doesn't necessarily recognize that, um, that often is hostile to it. And in Peter's writing, they'll say, this is, how you, this is how you're supposed to live. And we started last week by by showing what Peter starts with is saying Christians live in the world as people who have hope. That the rest of the world it lives constantly looking for that hope and other things, but Christians are ones who have been born again, Peter says, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And this morning, do you know that? Do you know that you are not what you once were? We don't often feel that way, but we've come and we've confessed our sin and we've been assured of His grace and we're being reminded that we are not, we are not what we once were, but we are new creatures in Christ. We've been born from above. We've been born again. And what we're going to look at today is what that what that hope of Jesus produces in us. What does that do in us so that it... it forces us into the world and it, call, it, it gives us directives in how we act in the world and how we live in the world. And the two things we're going to look at today are holiness and hospitality. And I don't know about you, but those are two words that scare me, right? It, that even when you kind of hear those two words, you kind of think, uh, holiness and hospitality, those, are, are those, those two things that I'm just supposed to do? Those are two things that, I'm not, that are not very present maybe in my life. I, I hope that this morning that we can, we can strip those words maybe to a certain degree of their baggage. Because they have a lot of baggage to them. And we, can, and we can look at how does the living hope of Jesus produce these things in us. And what does that look like as we operate in this world? And what does that mean about how we live in this world? I'm going to look at a few sections I'm from 1 Peter this morning. They're printed there in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. This is God's Word. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's The end of all things is at hands. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as, God's good, steward, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Amen. This is God's Word. Let me pray and ask His blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, we, um, there's a, no way that we're able to produce these things in our lives. Holiness, to be hospitable, to actually think of others. Father, this, it doesn't come naturally to us. But Father, as we've already said, we are not what we once were. We've been born again. That we've been given hope. That it wasn't produced in us by us, but that it was caused in us through Jesus and through His life, through His death and through His resurrection. And Father, what we we cry out for this morning is that You would continue to conform us to Your image. That we would begin to look more and more like You. Father, that we would begin to interact with the world in the way that You have interacted with us. Father, would you do that this morning? Would you change us even more this morning? Would you do this for your own glory? We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. A few years ago, I, I went on this trip with three of my good college friends. And we went out to, it's really probably the most primitive place that I've ever been. It was the middle of Idaho. And I didn't really know what was in the middle of Idaho. But it happens that the middle of Idaho is gorgeous. And we, we drove to this river to fish for a few days, and it was, it was beautiful, and the fishing was good, and just everything seemed right. And when I think back on that trip, there's this one particular night that I remember. And it may not mean much to you, I'm going to tell the story anyway. Um, I just want to reminisce for a minute. It We had... We'd finished a good day of fishing, and we drive into this town that sort of prided itself on not having like more than 80 people, and um, I think there were 24 total teeth in the town. Anyway, they they have a shack; they have a little shack there, sort of restaurant, and we go and eat there, and have a burger, and sit on this porch that's on the river. And with our bellies full, we get back in our car and we drive to our campsite that's kind of up in the mountains, that's sitting on a river. And along the way, we roll down the windows. We have this good, we have Richard Buckner playing, who has this sort of beautifully haunting music. It's dead silent in the car. We pull up to the campground, and my friend just shuts the engine off, leaves the motor, I mean, shuts the motor off, leaves the music going, and we just sit and we stare at the river with the moon reflecting off of it, and for at least 40 minutes, nobody said anything. It, it, nobody dared break that moment. Nobody interrupted it with a word that we all were aware of the fact that, that everything right now just seems at peace. Everything seems so good. Maybe you've had, maybe you've had some of those moments. That every once in a while, it strikes you. Every once in a while, you sort of get a clear picture of, of what, it, what the world is supposed to be like. You know, Maybe you're watching your kids play, if you have kids, and they're all playing nicely with one another, like nobody's biting or scratching or hitting or punching, and they're actually being kind to one another, and you think for a minute before you start to scream at them again that they're beautiful. What a great, what a wonderful gift. What a miraculous thing. And just everything seems good. Or maybe you're sitting in worship in a, in a song with the words and the music, it strikes you. And, and you think, you just get this clear picture that I'm a child of the living God. That that He's taken me out of darkness and He's brought me into life because of His mercy. And and just for a few moments, it just becomes so clear. C.S. Lewis, when he, he, he talks about staring at a sunset and looking at that sunset and being so enamored with it because it's so beautiful, it's so lovely that he, he just wants to enter into it. He wants to almost be a part of it. Those, feel, those feelings that, that we've all had at different times, they they leave us with this longing, don't they? They leave us with this longing, with this picture, with this thought of of, of the world made right, of the world in, in harmony, at peace. And what if this morning... What if I were to suggest to you that 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 longing that we have, that we're left with, is actually a longing for holiness? And I know that word comes with baggage. And I know that when we think of holy people, we think of an old man sort of crotchety and sitting and reading a book and unapproachable. Maybe we think of a, a teacher that we had that always came down hard on us because we were doing the wrong things. That that word has baggage to it. But what if what holiness really is is the absence of everything that you actually hate about yourself and you hate about the world? What if holiness is the absence of depression? What if it's the absence of jealousy? What, is the, what if it's the absence of pride and slander and malice? What if it's the eradication of all of those things from you and from the world? What if thats Isn't that what the world is longing for? Isn't that what the world actually really wants? That in those moments when our minds drift off to what the world is to be like, that's what we want. We have to know this morning that that's exactly what our Father wants too. And that's that's exactly what our Heavenly Father is in the business of doing. That He is in the business, Paul tells us, of uniting all things in heaven and on earth. That he He is in the business of a cosmic reconstruction where He is making all things new again. And the place that He's beginning that cosmic reconstruction is the place where the brokenness is most present. In my heart. And in your heart. In us. That He's beginning that restoration in the people who have messed up the world. Which is you and me. See, the reason that Peter in this letter... The reason I wanted to study this letter and think through this letter more is because I am afraid of those words and I I don't want to be. But the reason that Peter keeps stressing holiness in this letter is because he wants us as as a, the people of God to look like God, and sometimes the reason that we don't like holiness is because maybe we don't know God like we should. That we think of Him as scary, we think of Him as distant, we think of Him as cruel. And yet, if we have come to know God through Jesus and the living hope that He has caused to be born us to be born into, and what Peter's saying is, we long. We will long to look more like that. We will long to be transformed. And so Peter wants, he's saying, how are we supposed to live in the world? We're supposed to live in the world as a new humanity that is more and more looking like the one who sought us out and who saved us. We're supposed to look like that in the midst of the brokenness around us. I want to talk this morning about that in a couple of ways through these passages. And the first thing that I want to talk about is that holiness, really what it is, is a visible display of that hope that we have. That holiness is not just a list of things that we do, it's not just um, getting ourselves right, Um, it's not stopping certain things. It's from the inside of us, a hope that has been born is actually bubbling up to the surface, and it's a visible display of the hope, is what holiness really is. And We see this, really, especially in the first two passages that I read. In that first passage from chapter 1, Peter, he says, Therefore, and whenever you have a therefore, you know he's building off of what he just said, obviously. And what he had just been talking about was the hope that we have. The hope that you have in Jesus. And he says, Therefore, since you've been born again to a living hope, in other words, since Jesus has rescued you by grace that he's given you a new life, That that you no longer have to fear condemnation anymore? That your inheritance is secured in heaven for you? That you no longer have to fear the world? Since all of these things have happened, he says, set your hope on that grace. He actually says, gird up the loins of your mind. That's what it says in the Greek. It's this battle imagery of taking your tunic, pulling it up, wrapping it around your waist... And starting to run. He says, run towards that grace. Fix your mind on that grace. Run away from the old things. Run away from the old passions. Run away from the old hopes that you had. Fix your mind on the grace that is to be revealed in Jesus. And begin to act like, begin to mimic the one who saved you. This is what Peter means when he says be holy like your father is holy. Begin to look like him, long to be like him. It's like it's like a mother saying to her child, you need to be I want you to be like your dad. I want you to imitate your daddy. What does that look like when we say we want to imitate God? I think it looks like somebody who's no longer being driven by lust, but is maybe being driven by love. That we're people who are not operating in the world according to greed and trying to get, but we're operating in the world according to generosity and thinking more and more about what we give. That it looks like someone who isn't a slave to addictions it is actually there's manifestations of self-control that are coming into their life that are changing them. It looks like someone whose anxiety is beginning to lessen. That as we begin to look more and more like our Father, that we begin to be more and more at peace. That it's really the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about, that, that we become, we're becoming kinder. That we're not reacting to the world the way that we used to react to it. That we're looking more like Jesus. That we're looking more like our Father. Peter does the same thing in chapter two, in the passage that I, the middle passage that I read. He uses that same logic. He says that you are no that you because of who you now are, because of the loving grace of God, you're transformed in the midst of the world. He says, hey, you were once, he's talking to a people that are spread out, who were, who were mainly Gentiles, who weren't heirs to the promise of God. They weren't part of the people of God. This has been when Jesus burst into the world and the Gentiles were brought in. This was an amazing thing. And he says, Peter says to them, you, were, you once were nobodies. You were not a people. You didn't have mercy But he says, now you're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a people for God's own possession. You're a holy nation. That he starts giving them the titles that were given to the Old Testament people of God. He's saying, this is now who you are. And we can take those titles and we can put them on you this morning. That you were once outside, but now you've been brought inside. You were once without hope and without mercy, but now you've been given hope Now you've been given mercy. And so because of that, Peter says, because of this logic that you were once outsiders, now you're insiders, that the seed of sin that was in your heart has been destroyed and obliterated. That it no longer can condemn you anymore. That you are now, as I've said, not what you once were. You're now a new creature. And he says, because of that, abstain from the passions of the flesh. He says, because they wage war on your soul. What does that mean? It, it means, and we all know this instinctively, that there is a war that's kind of always being waged against our soul. Those of us who believe in Jesus and who are, who are trying to fix our hope on Jesus and nothing else, that there's always this war being waged upon our soul that's, that's kind of saying to us, that's sort of whispering in our ear, you're not really on the inside you're not a holy nation. You know, you're a royal priesthood. Uh, That's certainly not you. That's not who you are. These things, the passions of the flesh are the things that we turn to to put our hope in other than Jesus that in the end just bring us further down. You know those things? Those things that throughout the week that you, when, when you begin to be stressed, that you turn to, whether it's thoughts, whether it's you know, things that you, that you do, that you, begin, you turn to a different way of thinking in order to sort of calm yourself. And yet, in the end, it doesn't bring you hope, and it actually brings you lower. And Peter's saying, you're not what you once were, so why would you still operate according to the passions of the flesh that you once operated? Because you know now that they were hopeless. <laughs> I mean, his logic is so clear. It's that you're now royalty... Even though you live in a world that doesn't recognize it, quit acting like you're not. Quit running back to things that actually are destroying you. You know, I was thinking as I was reading this uh, this week, is is just, if Peter was sitting in, across from me, what would he say for me to abstain from? And, may, and maybe that's good for us to think about this morning. We don't like to talk about abstaining from things, but Christians are people that can say no to ourselves. We can actually say no, the rest of the world doesn't understand that. And what would Peter say to Tim Udodge to abstain from? I could think of a list of things. And maybe you need to think about that this morning is is what are those things that you turn to that you that you start to put your hope in when the stress comes? When you when you begin to feel worthless. And I know you do because we share humanity. <laughs> We're That you begin to feel like this just isn't adding up. That this job isn't working. That this that this marriage is difficult. That these children are hard. That this school is killing me. Whatever it is, what's the passion of the flesh that you turn to? Is it a way of thinking? Is it sort of a defeatist mentality? Is it a hopelessness that you start to dwell upon? I think Peter's asking us this morning, he's saying, that's not who you are. <laughs> it's not who you are because Jesus has snatched you out of that. He's taken you out of that. He's made you new again. And don't go back to that is what he's saying. Fix your eyes on him. You go, how do I do that? He says, we have to be sober minded. He says, fix your mind on that grace that has been manifested in your life. Gird up the loins of your mind and continue to run to him. It does take discipline to do that it does take a sober mindedness he mentions that twice in this passage and so i think what peter's saying is that holiness is a it's a visible display of a new heart it's a it's a new love that is in our heart that all the things peter's saying that were killing you before why would you run back to those anymore That Peter's trying to continually reveal to you the beauty of what has actually happened to you because oftentimes we don't feel like it's an actuality. Oftentimes we don't feel like we're a new people, like we're a new creation, like we're a royal priesthood. And Peter's saying, but you really are. And nothing can change that. And so, quit running back. Flee away from the passions of the flesh. Set your mind on the hope and the grace that you have in Jesus. I love this quote on the front. That's why I put it on the front of the bulletin from Ed Clowney. I think it, it strips away some of the baggage that we, we often associate with holiness and sort of the burden we feel when we talk about holiness. Because he says there's a marvelous simplicity in a holiness that's patterned on God himself. It does not require encyclopedic grasp of endless directives and prohibitions. It flows from the heart. Its key is love. We imitate, listen to this, we imitate the love of grace that saved us. The love of God's compassion poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That holiness is not the person who has this encyclopedic grasp of all the directions and all the prohibitions and is very good at doing them. Holiness is a person who has so amazed at the hope that has been given to him in Jesus, that is so amazed by that grace that it's, begin to bu- it's beginning to bubble out and overflow into his life. So it's not a picture of somebody who is perfect already. It's a picture who is of somebody who is fixed on Jesus, who is enamored with Jesus, who is in love with Jesus because of the way that Jesus has loved him or her, and it's transforming who they are. And that, that bleeds over into my second point and my last point is that holiness this type of holiness it results it always results in hospitality and that's another word that has baggage right i mean when i think of hospitality and this is a theme that peter comes back to a couple times when i think of hospitality i think of sort of an apron with a ruffled ruffles around the edges and like a nice tea set or whatever get that image out of your mind this is this is not what peter means when he when he's talking about hospitality. Hospitality and hospital, you know, they sh- they're really the same. They share the same root for a reason because what are hospitals do, they take in broken people, they take in sick people, and they heal them. Or at least they attempt to. They often charge large amounts of money for it, but that's where the metaphor breaks down. That's where the, you know, it breaks down. But Peter's saying that there's a, the, the, the brokenness of sin, what it produces in us is an inwardness. And it produces in us a selfishness. We all know this. That the times in which we're wallowing the most in sin are actually the times in which we're most self-consumed. That you want to stay away from people. Um, that you want to be alone. That you don't want to see people. That it caused, Sin and brokenness causes inwardness. But holiness, the hope that we have in Jesus that produces... that that calls us to be like God, produces a hospitality which is an outwardness. The very nature of holiness is that it is other-centered. That it looks towards God and it looks towards fellow man. It looks towards the world. That it's not about... When we think of holiness as about being about me and getting my life straight, that's actually the opposite of what holiness is. Holiness is outward thinking. Okay, what do I mean by that? if holiness is mimicking god it's looking like, like that love think about think about for a minute the trinity i know this is something we think about all the time right um, the father son and the holy spirit dwelling in perfect unity they're in uh, this th- this greek word perichoresis that it's this it's like a choreography a dance that they're constantly Loving and giving themselves to one another. That throughout eternity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have loved one another perfectly. And when we look at how the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, this Trinity, relates to the world, what do we see? We see that even when the world rebels against this God who created them to be part of this, that He sends His Son out into the world that this son suffers and dies for the ones who are rebelling so that they can bring these people in to that love, to that community. It's the very picture of what holiness does. That, that the nature of it, the essence of it, it is, is that it is hospitable in the truest sense of the word. That it reaches out to that which is broken, and it brings it in, and it heals it. That it isn't, it isn't focused on self, it's focused outward. And so, if holiness is mimicking the character of God, then at the heart of holiness must mean loving the unlovable, right? Because when God loved you, you were unlovable. And I was unlovable. It must mean, and this one hurts, a charitable and forgiving spirit. That it must mean one who is slow to criticize and fast to give the benefit of the doubt. That's really what hospitality is about that's born out of holiness. Because Peter calls us to this not not as an end in itself, not as holiness as sort of you've arrived and you're void of sin and you sit and you remain holy and you retreat from the world as churches often do. No, it's not an end in itself. That holiness is so that, and he makes it so clear, why are you a chosen race and a royal priesthood, a holy nation, so that you can proclaim The excellencies of Him who brought you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. This is why you're the people of God, He says. So that you can live your life in such a way that even when they want to call you evil, that they'll see the good that you're doing in the world and they'll glorify God because of you. That holiness is not a thing that repels people from you, is what we often think, but it should be a thing that draws people to you and draws you to other people because people see it and they say, that is what I want. I want to be less mean. <laughs> I want to be giving. I want to be more loving. And, and what Peter's saying is that the people of God, the way that we live in the world, is that we are holy, that we act like God, and it produces this hospitality, it produces this outwardness, this outward focus that the world looks at. And even if they don't like this God, they, they recognize something in it that they say, this is what we're longing for. This is what we actually want. How do Christians live in the world? We live as hopeful people whose hope is visibly displayed in holiness that results in hospitality. What does that look like? I want to leave with just three little things that that looks like here now in Greenville, South Carolina, maybe where you are. I think if we're going to talk about this, we have to talk about, first of all, the place that is most intimate to you, and which is the home, wherever, wherever that may be. The place where normally um, everyone sees you like you really are, right? Um, the place where your, your kids, maybe, if you have them, know what you're really like. The place where your wife knows what you really like or your husband knows what you really like. Your roommates know what you really like that we have to start there and kind of go, is the living hope of Jesus, is it changing my home? Is it changing the place where I dwell? Is it the, changing the place um, where I'm most relaxed? Is it coming into that place and producing godlikeness, holiness, other-centeredness? Is it doing that? And I think that we often, when we kind of think about Christians in the world... We maybe want to talk about family as far as like traditional values or doing things like that, but we don't want to really talk about it in the way that it makes us forgive one another. Or the way that we, we talk to our, our family, the way that we speak to one another. Is it becoming, because of the hope that we have in Jesus, is it becoming more godlike? Is it becoming more like Jesus? Because when it does, I mean, if you just think about a marriage... And what this looks like in a marriage, it's the most radical thing in the world. It's two people who are submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ and who are giving themselves, who are putting the other's needs above themselves. That is unheard of and unreal and radical and crazy in the world. And when that begins to happen in the home, it begins to bleed out, right? Because Because we have children and our children see that. And you think about your kids and you think about, you know, we're at that stage of life where we're starting to think like, oh, they know what they're, they know what we're speaking about. Um, We better watch what we say and we better teach them something, I guess. And we start to get like anxious about teaching them all the right things that they need to know. That's good, I guess, to a certain degree. But we all know that when we grow up, the things that we remember, not necessarily what our parents said, but we remember how they said them. We remember the tone that they had. We remember the look that was on their face, the, the way that they looked at us, the way that they cared for one another. We remember the way that our fathers talked to our mothers. We remember those things. And we have to go, is the living hope of Jesus changing that in your life? Because Peter's saying that's what running away from the passions of the flesh looks like. It looks like running towards loving one another because we are enamored with the love of God. What about, secondly, that that has to at least take place, not just in the home, but in the body. In the body of Christ, if, if we're the people of God, if we're a royal priesthood and a holy nation, that we should probably love one another, right? This is not something that we're normally good at. This is not something that, that, that seems to be, we have a good um, you know record of in the world. Peter says, he kind of comes to this point, In chapter 4, he just says, Okay, above all, if you're not going to hear anything else, if you're not going to understand the logic that I'm taking you through about who you are and and why you're there and what Jesus has done, at least just listen to this. Keep loving one another earnestly. Okay? Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Why does Peter say, above all, hear this, above all, listen to this, because he's saying... The world needs to see this in you. Jesus says that that they will know that you're my disciples if you you love one another. If you're operating towards one another in a way that is foreign to the world because of the hope that's been caused in you through Jesus, he's saying that's what the world needs to see. And we know that if the people of God are assembled together through the gracious action of God, that it means that the people of God will not all be people that normally would have associated with one another had it not been for the grace of God. And so we know that the people of God, when you come to church, it should be a place where the commonness, we talked about this last week, is the hope that we have in Christ. And it may not be anything else. There may not be any other common theme in our lives other than you know, breathing and eating, sleeping. But what draws us together is, is Jesus and the common hope that we have in him. And so for God-likeness to inform our hospitality, it mean, it's got to mean that the rules of the world do not follow us into this place. What do I mean by that? The rules, um, the rules of race, the rules of status, the little rules we make for ourselves about how we judge one another, those things can't follow us into this place because if they do, that they will tear this place apart. And this place will look just like the world. And the new humanity will be divided. And the new humanity that Jesus has created will be judging one another based on the things that the world judges one another on. And, and Peter's saying that cannot be the case. If anything, if you don't hear anything, Peter says, love one another. Because in that, that they, will, they will see Jesus. And they will glorify God on the day of visitation, is what he says. One of the miraculous things about the early church that just dumbfounded the Roman Empire, dumbfounded the world around them, is that it spanned across racial divide and economic divide. And that there just weren't many places socially that those people came together of different races, um, of different social statuses, of different economic statuses, sat at the same place, ate at the same table, worshipped the same God, the world looked at that and says, we don't have any logical explanation for it. It must be supernatural. Do we look like that? Is that something that is changed in us and transformed in us that we don't have those same rules that the world has? But then finally and lastly, that it's got to bleed out. This has to bleed out not just to the home and the body, but it's got to bleed out into the world. That this holy, this hope that we have that produces this holiness that that drives this hospitality, this outwardness. It has to go beyond just these walls and these people, but it has to go out into the world. And Because imitating God means loving those who we normally wouldn't love, not just here, but even those who are enemies, who God calls enemies, those who hate God. And we see this, obviously, most clearly in the teachings of Jesus. If you read the Sermon on the Mount, it's, it's astounding. It should make us just fall down and go, what in the world? You call us to do all the things that that nobody in their right mind would normally do. Jesus, in, in Luke 14, he just gives this as an example. You know, this is sort of casual conversation for Jesus. Oh, yeah, and when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a dinner party... Invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just because they cannot repay you. Jesus is saying, this is the way that I love you. You can't repay me. This is the way that I want you to love the world. The world won't repay you. Don't worry about being repaid. I'll repay you. I will bless you. Your security and your inheritance, is, it's safe with me. And he says, this allows you to lay down your life. This allows you to go out into the world. I, I think when we're thinking about that, I mean, the best way to put it is that holiness is just, it's acting towards the world the way that God has acted towards you. It's acting towards the world the way that God has acted towards you. It's, to put it in Jesus' words, it's not returning evil with evil. God did not return e- the evil that you showed to him with evil. And he's saying, I don't want you to do that either in the world. It's it's forgiving those who harm you. And not seeking, you know, it's not seeking that justice. It's being okay with the fact that God holds justice in his hands. That it's loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you, Jesus said. That it's not resisting, Jesus says it's not resisting the one who is evil. That it's turning the other cheek when somebody hits your cheek, you offer the other. When somebody takes your garment, you offer the rest of what you have. Jesus goes on and on about this, that Jesus says, the way you relate to the world is the way God has related to you. That He loved you when you're unlovable. That He brought you in when you didn't deserve it. That He gave and He gave and He gave. And He says, this is the way that the church, this is the way the body should relate to the world. That's hard when i say those words and when i listen to jesus i think that's hard and i think the only response that we have to that the only the way that we can do that is the more we're enamored with him the more that we we the more that we dwell upon the more that we're in love with the fact that he loved us when we were like the most unlovable people that we know in this world and when that grabs hold of us, when that grabs hold of your heart, when it grabs hold of you, it bubbles out over, it it, it results in holiness. It results in a person who doesn't show as much, to use Peter's words, slander or malice or envy or strife. How are we supposed to live in the world? Peter says that we're, we're to live in the world as holy people because of the hope that we have in Jesus. And that holiness is not something that separates us from the world, it actually pushes us into the world, becomes a beacon, a light of what the world is longing for, a picture of hope, a picture of wholeness, a picture of a community that loves, that lays down its life for one another and those who are even outside of their camp. This is what we long for, and this is what we've been called to, and this is what God is doing in us as we trust in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, um, we thank you for our Savior Jesus. We thank you for his love for us. We pray that this morning that it would continue to change us. And we ask this in the precious name of Christ. Amen.